Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. You have to be honest and talk about what you want to talk about, regardless of if there are a couple people out there that say, hey, I don't want to hear about this. I always say it's almost worse to be content, fine, you know, boring almost, where everything's just pretty normal and regular than it is to be in a state of emergency, than it is to be in a state of like, I hate this, this sucks, because then nothing changes. The only thing holding me back was time. If I made 50 grand in six months just from doing fitness coaching, imagine what could happen if I went full time, did it for a full year and put all of my effort into it. So to me, that was the biggest that was the biggest shift in my head that I was like, I can do this if I just put in the work and put in the time and the time and the time. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today's guest is Amanda Bucci. Who is Amanda Bucci? Amanda is a social media influencer with over a half a million Instagram followers and 200,000 YouTube subscribers. You don't get there by accident. In this conversation, we talk about everything from what she asks herself before she posts on Instagram, the turkey sandwich metaphor she uses to make sure her posts are effective and have everything that they need, and what it feels like to have a camera in front of her constantly, and so much more. You can find Amanda on the socials at Amanda Bucci, that's B-U-C-C-I. And without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Amanda Bucci. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've heard nothing but good things about your interview skills, by the way. <laughs> well, I hope I don't let down. You know, I am really, really excited that you're here. Your name is one of those names that just keep popping up in my world, and I'm super excited to dig in today. So thanks a lot for making the time. Well, if I keep popping up, that just means we have to chat, right? We have to become <laughs> friends. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, I tell you, what I'd like to start with is where you grew up, which I know is in Rhode Island. Can you give me an example or maybe a story of some things your parents maybe did with you as a kid from ages 10 to 15 that sort of typifies what living in Rhode Island was like? Oh, that's a good question. So in terms of what I did in middle school, I uh, my parents got me into sports really early. Like I had really, really, really amazing parents. I grew up with an, a really awesome childhood, to be completely honest. Like I didn't really have anything that was outstandingly terrible about how I grew up or my childhood or anything along those lines. Like my parents had a really great money mindset. My dad's a lawyer. My mom was a teacher, now guidance counselor. She used to be a dental hygienist. And they, they both did network marketing growing up. So I always saw them do like a little bit of that on the side. As far as I can remember, I was always trying incredibly hard in school every single day. It was just one of those things that I was really dedicated to it. Like I would be the sibling that came home from school and studied all afternoon. And then I never had senioritis in high school. I got straight A's up until like the very last day because I just really liked school. So that was kind of me growing up in Rhode Island. You're obviously not in Rhode Island anymore. You're in uh, sunny California. Yes, I am. 
Can you tell us the story of how you and your friend decided to move to California based on a video Skype interview for a waitressing job? How did that come about? Yeah, a good question. That friend was the spontaneous friend. She's the spontaneous one. And she said, hey, let's move to LA for the summer. And for me, a little Rhode Island girl, I didn't even apply to colleges outside of the state. I didn't want to move. I wanted to stay close to home. How old was I? Like 20 or 19 at the time? I must have been 19 at the time, turning 20 that summer. And how old are you now? I'm 24. So four years ago was that summer, I believe. Uh, Maybe maybe five now, one of the two. So we emailed a bunch of restaurants and we typed into just Google, best restaurants in Los Angeles. And we decided that we wanted to live in Venice. So we found a couple of restaurants in Southern California in Venice. And we had one guy that emailed us back. We sent him like a resume and like a photo of us because we were like, let's just you know, do whatever we can. And the guy was the most chill person. This restaurant was the most chill restaurant. He was like, yeah, we're going to be hiring right around that time that you guys are moving. So just come on down. We'll get you a job and we'll get you all set up. And we were like, you're kidding. <laughs> so I had no excuse. So, so we found this little place. I put down the first month's rent deposit. And after that, I had $30 in my bank account after I paid that first month's rent. And I was like, you know, broke college kid problem. So I was like, all right, let's make something happen. So I did a couple of waitressing shifts, probably the most pivotal summer of my whole entire life. Let's let's kind of dig in a little bit. Can you tell us about the day that you did your first YouTube video and why you decided to do it? So I started on Instagram and I actually made an Instagram for just my fitness stuff called Amanda Bucci Fit, which is my current Instagram, which I have changed back to Amanda Bucci, which we can talk about later if you want to. And then I had one girl that I followed and she started making YouTube videos and they were just sit down in front of the camera, talk about fitness. And I was like, you know what? That sounds great because I keep trying to make these posts talking about my progress and talking about how to do things. And people keep asking me, maybe I should just start this YouTube thing. I'll make some videos and teach people how. And then I started getting exposed to more YouTubers and people that have been doing it for years and years and years. And then I really, you know, that first video... I was actually in the middle of a competition prep and I wasn't even really documenting it on YouTube yet. It was my second show I ever did, I think. And I think my first video was on the day of the show. And I was just showing people on my Instagram. I was like, okay, I I know I started this a little bit late, but I'm going to do another show. So here's the very end of this show. And then I'll do another competition prep when it comes the time to do it. So that was kind of how I got my start on YouTube. Do you think that your parents being entrepreneurial, entering into the network marketing space, you know, being really encouraging of you to sort of go out and chart your own path is one of the things that's allowed you at 24 years old to not take the traditional path and do something that is, you know, really pretty unique? Yeah, I think that when I was in high school seeing them do network marketing and stuff like that on the side, again, it was always just a side thing for them. And I, I didn't I don't really attribute that specifically to me being confident in my entrepreneurial spirit. I didn't even know that I had it, to be completely honest. It was I was very much so going down the tr- traditional route of nursing. Even when I officially moved out that summer of 2015 when I graduated and I officially moved to Los Angeles, I still was planning on getting a nursing job. The biggest thing that stopped me was 
you know, finding fitness, falling in love with it, starting my YouTube channel. I made about 50 grand out of college, like from June to the December for the first year, just from doing that. And I was like, you know, if I keep doing this, it's going to grow. It's not going to slow me down. The only thing holding me back right now is time. Um, The only thing that was holding me back was the fact that I needed more time and I needed to take my focus off of nursing. And that was a tough decision for me for sure. But I just felt really strongly about my mission and my passion was so strong that I think passion got me through in the beginning, um, just determining whether or not it was going to work for me. Maybe in the back of my head, what they were doing for themselves and like the encouragement and support from them. My mom definitely wanted me to finish my my nursing degree because I didn't pass my NCLEX, which is the math, the national exam you have to take in order to practice nursing safely. I graduated with my degree, but passing the NCLEX, it just it was a mess. I wasn't passionate about it anymore. I didn't study as hard as I could have. It, the state took me a few months to get my papers back to say I could actually take the test. So I was over here twiddling my thumbs, waiting around, and studying was just a nightmare. I didn't want to do it. So it was already kind of just a turnoff for me after a little while. And then I realized how amazing it was to build something online. And I knew the only thing holding me back was time. If I made 50 grand in six months just from doing fitness coaching, imagine what could happen if I went full-time, did it for a full year and put all of my effort into it. Like The year before was a half-assed effort to be completely honest. So to me, that was the biggest... That was the biggest shift in my head that I was like, I can do this if I just put in the work and put in the time. You know, I heard a, uh, a quote once and it's, things don't happen to you, they happen for you. So a lot of times, you know, these, these, these things we look at like, you know, not passing the nursing degree or, you know, whatever it is at that moment, maybe there was a higher power that was at work, you know, guiding you where you needed to go. Totally. So I'd like to talk a little bit and kind of get into the weeds um, on some tactical strategies uh, for Instagram, which is sort of what you're known for. And a lot of the people who are listening to the show are, you know, entrepreneurs that maybe are in training or maybe entrepreneurs that want to step into the world. I mean, we are in the world of Instagram right now, for sure. You are uh, one of the leaders in that world. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to to be in a mastermind where you presented and you you blew the room away. Aww, thank you. <laughs> You, you did. Your your advice was super tactical, uh, super usable, um, and there's a lot of like little details of things that that you gave us, like you know something simple, like how to like not jumble your paragraphs in an Instagram <laughs> by you know so doing many something. Ask that question, Rob. You have no idea. <laughs> You know, I've I've been using it as a party trick for you know I've been I've been like go you know pull your Instagram out see how that's all jumbled let me show, let me that's let me amazing. show you let me show you how you don't have to do that People anymore. People get so happy from just that small thing. They're like, I've been trying to do that forever. It's hysterical. Yes. Um, okay. So. I'd like to get into a little bit, a uh, little, little bit of the weeds here. First, I'd like to talk about how you think about things from a psychological standpoint. What sorts of questions do you ask yourself before you upload something to Instagram or YouTube? Love that question. So if I'm uploading to Instagram or YouTube, my first question is, how is this going to help my ideal client? And before, when I first got started, things were just automatically helping people because I was just really excited to share. Like I said, I was sharing my progress. I was sharing how I was doing things. And I was I was essentially mentoring, teaching, and being likable and relatable all at the same time. 
by accident. So now when I teach people who don't have that naturally, it's almost like you have to think about number one, how can I teach someone something, help them in some sort of way, add value to their life in some sort of way. And if it's not adding value to anybody, it's not worth posting to me in my mind. There's a lot of things that you know value can be created by. So maybe you're a photographer. Adding value is adding beauty to someone's day by your beautiful photo. So it depends on your niche, obviously. But for me, value was you know showing them either confidence or something about my training or something about my nutrition or something about how I was feeling. All of those things were valuable to me. And then, you know, photos of my body or whatever, motivational stuff, because fitness is is very much so like that. I've gotten away from that a little bit because I've shifted into entrepreneurship, but that's a different story. So when I, when I have other people, when I teach other people, number one, add value. Number two, I always ask people, how could you transfer the personality that your best friends know you as and put that online. If your best friend can't say, oh yeah, that's a really great representation of you. Your page is very, you know, you, I, I call it you as fuck. I don't know if I can swear. Can I swear? You, you can fuck away. Yeah. So you can fuck away. Okay. So I make sure that if you are looking at your feed, is it you as fuck? Is it your brand as fuck? And it has to just scream you. It has to not only scream you, but it has to scream your niche. So if someone comes to your page and they can't get a good feel for what you're all about in three seconds, you're you're over. So it's not it's not as ominous as it really sounds. But really, if you're trying to get people to come to your page and something happens where you get on the explore page and you have one really good photo and someone comes to your page and doesn't press follow, that means that it doesn't scream loud enough at them what is going to benefit them from having your page open and then seeing your page and your content on their feed. Um, and then in terms of uploading and optimizing... So think about that when you're creating your content. It's going to be different for every niche. But in terms of uploading and optimizing, number one, I like to make sure that my caption's really, really good. So for me, I've always written long captions. It's just been a thing of mine. I love to write. I probably should have created a blog, but I just use my Instagram. It's my blog, essentially. And for me, captions are everything. So I like to think of a really good hook. And I taught you guys this in the mastermind, but... Think about it as a turkey sandwich. It's just a funny little analogy, but the hook is your your bread, right? So how are you going to get someone to press the read more button? Because Instagram only allows people to read the first line of your post until they press read more. And you do want them to read what you have to say. You do want them to read your thoughts and you do want to influence them through what you have to say. And if you don't write anything to me... It's almost just like you're missing out on the people that do want to read the long captions. Um, again, it's going to depend on your niche, how long your caption is going to be, if you're inspirational, if you're a photographer, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're whatever it happens to be, what what medium you're using. So if you're really focused on podcasts and YouTube, maybe your Instagram captions don't have to be as long because you're directing people somewhere else, or maybe you grew elsewhere. But if you're only using Instagram to get started, you can't not have a long caption. It's just too competitive nowadays for you to miss out on that. So the turkey sandwich, the bread is the hook. So something that's going to hook them in, allow them to be excited to read your caption. And then the next piece is the cheese. So think about the cheese as just why do people want to read this? What is the story or the message behind the caption that has the meat of the content in it, which is the turkey is the meat, which is you know what they're coming there for. So the content, what did, what did you write in the hook that they're interested in reading about? Um, but the cheese, again, it's going to be a relatable story, maybe something that they can really, really be invested in to continue to read the rest of the caption. 
And then the last piece is the bread. So the, the very end bread is your call to action. So if you don't have any kind of call to action in your post, you're losing out on potential engagement. And engagement is what's going to allow your post to show up more on the Explore page and for Instagram to realize, okay, this person's post is doing well. People are engaging with it and interacting with it. And if you don't tell people to do something, whether that thing is to follow for more at your handle, maybe it's going to be like the photo, maybe it's going to be comment your answer to this question. And if you're asking a question, I think questions are probably the best way to get more engagement on your post, unless your post is something really controversial or something that people really want to have an opinion about in the comment section asking a question that excites people to answer. So if this question is an opinion that they're super excited to share, or maybe it's something like I made a post the other day about what kind of what do you do and why do you love it? And I was just really interested in what people did for work and why they loved it. And people love sharing about what they love. So any kind of question that you can inspire someone to comment and answer it, that's great. And that's going to add comments to your post, which is going to add engagement to your post. And then you're going to go ahead and comment back to them to create some more engagement. So that's how I like to think about the captions. And then when it comes to the rest of the posts, optimizing to me just kind of means making sure that you have whatever brands you're wearing tagged or anything that you want to be tagged on your photo. Maybe it's another person. Maybe it's a person that you want to see the photo, like an influencer or a brand. And then I also like to geotag the photos to make sure that it just pops up as an extra potential way to find my post. So I always tag... Los Angeles in my post just because that's where I live. And if I go to the Los Angeles, California Instagram, I'll probably end up on the top post at some point during the day just because it's just a really easy way to find it. So if people are searching Los Angeles on Instagram, maybe they'll find my posts or you know, wherever you live, wherever you are, especially maybe if you go to a gym or if you're at an event, it's a really great way to find people and connect with people that are your ideal audience member. Okay, so there was a lot there. So let's yeah. let's let's go back and uh, I, I want to go. Uh, I have two questions. First one is let's talk about the turkey sandwich. If I were to put you on the spot and we were to create a turkey sandwich, you and me together, we're in the kitchen. We want to create. <laughs> we want to create the turkey sandwich. Give me an example, like just off the cuff, in your head now. How would you craft a post? hook, story, call to action, bread, cheese, etc. Okay. So what I gave to you guys at the mastermind, I'll use the same kind of idea. So I wrote, I know it's scary. It's scary to be vulnerable. So for me, that's a really good hook. It's a really good you know, beginning of the post. And then I talk a little bit about, I used to be really terrified of X, Y, and Z. I used to be really terrified of being seen, heard, judged, criticized, whatever it happens to be. So in this post, I'm talking about criticism. I, I'm talking about hiding from things and hiding from your dreams because you're terrified of what other people will think about you, what happens if you fail, et cetera, et cetera. So I started it off with the bread of, I know it's scary. It's scary to be vulnerable. It's scary to be seen, heard, and judged. And then I said... I used to hide from everything. I used to show up small for fear of being thought of as arrogant, self-absorbed, a know-it-all, or a fraud. 
So that's a really good connector piece for people to say, oh, that's me, me too. If you can get someone to say me too, that's the best because then they're going to want to keep reading. And then I wrote a little bit later, it took me a really long time to record my first interview. I quit nursing because I was, but I was terrified. Moved across the country, I was terrified. And then at the end of it, I said, being seen, heard, and showing up big is scary, but scary is bullshit when you realize what you could be saying no to in life by you saying, by you being fearful. And then at the end, I just made a thing. What are you fearful of? Um, Asking the call to action is just asking a question to me. So what are you scared of? What's the biggest thing that you can overcome right now? And then people... Number one, connect really strongly because I gave storytelling examples in this post. Um, I talked a couple... I said a couple of things about my story. So I talked about when I started my podcast. I talked about when I quit nursing. I talked about when I moved across the country. I talked about when I started my businesses this year. All of these connector points will allow people to feel the emotion that I felt because they're feeling it too. And then I give... The context is essentially just, here's my perspective on it. Here's what I think now. Here's what I have learned. Here's how I've overcome. Here's a teaching or any kind of thing that you can take away that's valuable to help you. I'm not just saying all these things and being like, yep, it's scary. Bye. (laughs) So I'm teaching or I'm mentoring in some way. And then call to action is just, you know, asking them what they're scared of and getting them to think a little bit, getting them to communicate, getting them to engage. And I've also noticed, just as an aside, I have spent years creating a safe space for people to comment something that they're scared of or comment something that's, you know, a little more ominous or a little less positive in a way, just because I like to get people to think. But I've spent a good bit of time doing that. And if you're new to Instagram, it might not be your best choice to go there right away. Maybe after you've built up a little bit of a trust and people know that your comment section is a safe space for them to express themselves, using something positive or putting a positive spin on it and getting them to say, maybe what they're most excited about rather than what they're most fearful of will be a little easier for them to to comment. So that's just a little side note. You know, I always thought of the call to action as something that, you know, you were directing them maybe to something that you're selling. Well, you can do that. I So just a, another side note, you can and should do that. But with Instagram, it's really tough to constantly have call to actions where you're directing them to an opt-in because people want to go on there for entertainment and value. They're not as excited about opt-ins all the time. So what I teach my students is a 5% rule of 5% of the time you can do a hard sell where you're just like, hey, go buy my thing. It's launching right now. 20% of the time is where a really great thing to do would be to have your caption at at the end say, P.S. Go sign up for my webinar. P.S. Go download this thing that I just got. Um, And the other thing is you have space in your Instagram story to do that stuff too. So you don't have to overwhelm your feed with go download my thing, go download my free opt-in, go to my webinar or go buy my stuff. You can use your Instagram feed as 75% or so free value where you're building your audience, creating engagement, And there's different kinds of calls to action that that give you different kinds of results, right? So the questions are going to provide you more engagement and more growth. And then the call to actions are going to, you know, nurture those people you already have and having them sign up for your list to get in your tribe and then potentially buy your stuff. So they're actually separate things. Got it. So you so you really could do either. You can direct them to a sale or you could direct them simply to a question. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about authenticity. You are 
how you come across, I, I think this is a, a huge compliment for people who do what you do, that you know, you're know you exactly the same way in person as you are on camera and frankly, as you are in your writing on Instagram. And I think that there's a, a, a bit of a, I don't know, a, a skill set that's associated with that, a little bit of trust in yourself. So you talked a lot about authenticity. Do you ever find yourself not being you? And I'm sure that you've trained it out of yourself. And so maybe a better question is, you know, in the past, have you found that, you know, you hit the, you hit the record button, you're facing the camera and you start talking and you're like, who the fuck is this? Like, I'm not even, <laughs> like, I'm not even myself. Cause I know that I've done that. You know, um, if I'm doing a podcast or something, all of a sudden, you know, my announcer voice will come out and I'll go, oh my God, like I am not being me right now. And so sometimes it's a challenge to remain who you are when you're being recorded. And I was wondering if you can kind of talk to that a little bit. Yeah. So I think I think there's two different things here. So I, I get what you're saying about the announcer voice. And I have a friend um, and he is he's in my program and he's like, whenever the camera comes on, I sound like a robot. Like I'm not me. I feel like I have to be this person. So I feel like this side of the coin is just being nervous and not being 100% confident in your own voice. And then thinking that you have to be something that you're not. So to me, I love when people like swear in their podcasts and, you know, create Instagram posts where they're writing like they speak. So with a, a bunch of O's after the so or something, you know, something kind of just funny where it sounds like they're conversating with me rather than being very formal. I think casual writing and casual speaking is so much more connective than than just robotic speaking like you're being very formal. I think that's in the past. Um, when it comes to putting yourself on camera or on video, yeah, you definitely have to be a little bit more energetic than you would be in your normal life. It's if you're in this place where you're kind of tired or maybe you're anxious or you're stressed, yeah, it's it's really hard to get on camera and really hard to go do a podcast for me. That's that's the worst and I sometimes don't feel like turning the camera on too and then I feel like I can't be myself because I'm not myself at the moment. So when you're not yourself at the moment, maybe you're stressed, maybe you're feeling discombobulated and you're not your highest self. To me, that means that you have to work a little bit on self-care. So this is meditating, journaling, talking to somebody, you know, just try, trying to relax. You can get back into that really clear mental state and ba- basically being in the zone. So I think that's a flow situation rather than an authenticity situation. Such a great answer because because the state that you're in will dictate how you come across on camera. And if if your state is shitty because of whatever's going on in your life, it's a really if nothing else, perhaps it's a it's a warning that you're not living your life in the way you need to be living your life, i.e. not getting enough sleep, you're stressed out, you're not eating right. And so all of that is, you know, being captured on audio or video. Yeah. And then obviously the other thing is just confidence in general. And confidence will come as you do. So just keep doing and then the confidence will build. The other thing is that you don't know who you are. So for me, over the last year in 20, 2017 was a big transitional year for me. So personally, I got my start with fitness and making vlogs. Vlogs are essentially you being yourself, 100% authentic. You're not acting. You're not announcer voicing. You're just you and you're living your life. And for me, that was always really easy. I knew exactly who I was, super passionate about fitness. The people that followed me loved me for fitness and what I was doing with that. And 
it was really easy because I knew exactly who I was talking to and I knew exactly how to be because I just had to be me and people liked it and that was it. And then over the last year, I've transitioned into talking more about entrepreneurship. This is another thing with me. I I have no idea how to be fake because if I'm going to talk to people about something... I have to be excited about it. And personally, I was so excited about fitness for so long. For like three or four years, I was competing. And it was great. It was the forefront of my life. And that's where I built my audience. And then over the last year, it's become kind of a backseat where I still love it so much. But I don't really like necessarily talking about how to do lat pulldowns and bicep curls anymore. Um, I like talking about it and how it helps me stay focused. It helps me stay healthy. It helps me stay clear. But then I I dove into entrepreneurship and I was learning about it. And I just... I don't know how people who are entrepreneurs just don't coach other entrepreneurs. It's very... It's just one of those things that's my personality because I have to teach what I'm learning. I have to share what I'm excited about. I have to talk about what I'm passionate about. And that's just me being authentic. So when I was talking about that more and more and more, and then I built some programs based on that, I didn't know who I was online anymore because my people followed me for fitness. And there were some people that grew and evolved with me. But it was really, really, really difficult to be authentic because I didn't know who to be anymore. I didn't know who I was talking to anymore. I didn't know if people liked it. I wasn't getting validated as much as I used to in terms of, yes, this is good. Keep doing this. There were plenty of people that were like, yo, stop stop this. I, I miss the old Amanda. I want you to go back to that person. I want you to reverse your you know, personality evolving to what you used to be so I can still relate to you. So I struggled a lot with that because I was no longer relatable in a way because before I was very much so on everybody's level. Um, I was, I, I just kind of was relating to them because that's what they kind of wanted. But I was such a close step ahead of them. And I was able to teach them, but I was learning it as I go, that it was really relatable. And it's taken me a long time to be comfortable with being less relatable, but still being an authority, a mentor, um, someone who's still inspiring, although my content has transitioned a good bit. So I think the other side of the coin here is you know, really being confident in who you are and what you have to say, and then finding the audience that just loves what you have to say because they are out there. And you just, you have to be honest and talk about what you want to talk about, regardless of if there are a couple people out there that say, Hey, I don't want to hear about this. If you could constrain yourself to only three apps for editing or pictures, what would they be? Instagram. <laughs> so I, I do like to edit things in Instagram, not necessarily the filters, but just, you know, if you're using the the brightness and the sharpness, it does have pretty good filter creation. Facetune is really good for editing as well. I know that people use Adobe and Lightroom and stuff like that. I haven't gotten too much into that, um, but I like to use Facetune. And then I also would use a PicFrame app. So I use something called PicFrame where I'll put a picture side by side. And that's really easy for me to just you know, basically put pictures side by side with each other. And then it allows you to do a transformation type of post or something along those lines. And another thing that I really like is Continual. It's, I wouldn't necessarily only stick to this one. It's, it's just a fun extra. But it's something that's another mind-blowing thing for people that's just a little fun extra. It, it allows you to create Instagram story videos. So maybe you create a one-minute long video in Continual. 
it will chop it up in 15 second bits for you. So you can just upload it directly. And then you know how many Instagram stories you have to upload. And it'll just cut it up for you rather than you having to record 15 seconds, stop, upload it, record another 15 seconds. And you can just kind of go with your train of thought. And it's really easy. Let's talk a little bit about um, outsourcing because in order to scale, you've got to be able to get some work off of your plate. How did you find your um, person to do the video editing and how difficult was it for you to release you from doing it? In other words, I can only do this myself. Oh, it was very difficult. To be completely honest, I did not want to give up the editing. I had someone that was doing filming for me for a good bit because I was like, I, I was in the YouTube land where everybody had a, a video videographer and we made workout edits with cool music and cinematic shots. And that was really fun for a little while. But to, to me, the editing for me was almost like a creative release. And I still love it. It's actually really enjoyable for me to create videos and to do all the really fun stuff. Like I, I love it so much. And I probably would spend more time doing it if I could. And for me, it was uh, not until I joined a mastermind where I was like, all right, someone is telling me right now that I have to give up my four hours of editing a night. Okay, I guess I could do that. And I was really, really resistant at first. And it was really difficult because I, I had to create a really strong system and I had to train the person to edit like I did. So after you're doing it for, on your own, a lot of YouTubers and people who create their own stuff struggle to turn um, to turn off their own style of editing and turn it all over to somebody else because everyone has their own little style. You like it done a certain way. And it does take more time and energy to train somebody. So for a while, I struggled with training the person. But what I did number one, just create a really good schedule and system for us. So I would send her... And I found her just because she reached out to me on Instagram and I met her at the gym and I really needed a person. And I, I created a system with, with her and I where I would send her the footage that I needed to send her for a YouTube video. I would send it through either WeTransfer or Dropbox, which is really easy or Google Drive. Any of those are really, really easy. And then she would edit it and then I would give her direction. So I would say, okay, clip number 173, I want you to speed it up times three and then put these words over it. So I was very, very, very clear on how I wanted it done. So there was less editing after we reviewed it together. So she would finish it with my outline. We would review it together the night before uploading. And I would say, okay, tweak this, change this. And then that was it. And eventually, now she knows exactly how I like them done. Um, if I get it back from her, it's usually 100% good and ready to go. Maybe there's one specific thing that I'm like, okay, go back and edit this. But that's about it. So it did take me a good bit of time to really train her. But it was very, very, very worth it. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing about outsourcing. Nobody's willing to take the upfront time to teach them and they assume that everybody's going to know everything. But if you're willing to take the time to do what you did, you know, our mutual friend Mike Zeller taught us, taught probably both of us the same thing, which is if you can get somebody else to do it that gets it at 80%, it's good enough. Yeah, I totally agree. It was it was just about that. And I was like, all right, that's fine. It's not, it's not, it's not detrimenting my business in any way. It's actually helping. Yeah, for sure, because you can do you have more time. All right, so let's let's switch gears and let's talk about sort of the emotional side of living with the camera. How has that affected your life? In other words, tell me about a time where it felt like, you know, I just shared too much of my personal life with somebody and this this is too far for me. Where where is that line? I know those lines are blurring these days, but have you experienced any of that personally? 
Yeah. So I think in the beginning, um, like I said, I moved to Los Angeles and I didn't really have a whole lot of friends in the beginning. So I kind of use YouTube as as my diary. And I think that for most people, they have a, a strong, hard line on what they do and don't want to share. I have a, a different opinion about this. And I think that you should share even the hardest of things, but in a certain way. So if you're currently in the middle of something, maybe you're in a in a depressed state right now. Maybe you are, I don't know, your your family, someone in your family just passed away like today. And whatever it is that's really going on with you right now, if you're not over the hump a little bit, maybe wait to share that thing. Just because I feel personally, you have to go through and experience that thing in your own life and real life before you share it with other people only because you have to heal first and you have to create that piece of content in a way that's going to help other people, not necessarily for you to use it as a diary and create and find solace and use your audience as your therapist. I think it's a really great tool to share your story, share your struggles and share everything that you've gone through. Be, uh, because it's going to help other people and it will help them relate to you. It'll help them trust you. It'll help paint the picture of who you are and what your mission is and why you're doing what you're doing. And usually you're doing what you're doing because of something really strong that happened in your life. And if you're not sharing that, you're not painting the whole picture. But if if you're not over the hump of like, okay, I've slightly gotten through this thing a little bit at this point, and now I'm ready to share it. Maybe just keep it to yourself and work through it for that period of time where you have to work through it before you're ready to share. So I know that there's a lot of people that aren't ready to share just yet especially the students in my program. And they're talking about, you know, past drug addictions and past experiences with being sexually molested and crazy things that they're maybe not ready to share yet. And maybe they have to talk to a family member before they share. Maybe they have to, you know, imagine Lewis where he was talking about being sexually harassed. He probably had to talk to his family before he shared it with his entire podcast of millions of listeners, if that makes sense. So personally, depending on where you're at in your life and your situation, you have to kind of work through that before you can allow that experience to be an inspiring piece of content that's going to help somebody else. Got it. Let's talk a little bit about sponsorships. Can you describe the conversation or what the conversation was like with your first sponsor and maybe a little bit of some uh, behind the scenes of how uh, that process works? Yeah, good question. So my first sponsor was a company that I'm no longer with, but I'll talk about the company that I am with right now because I love the way that it came about. I essentially just started using their products and I loved them so much. They were supplements and I I used them in every single day. And then I eventually just reached out to the company and the company was small enough as to where I felt like my audience was big enough to where I could add value, but they weren't big enough as to where they wouldn't even see me if that made sense. So they... Mm -hmm. I had about 20,000 Instagram followers at the time. And I reached out and I said... And I think this is a very specific and a great way to do it. I said, Hi, my name is Amanda. I've been using your products for a few months now and I love them. I would be really interested in potentially applying to be one of your sponsored athletes. Let me know if there's a process that I can go through in order to apply. 
And I didn't show up entitled. I didn't say, Hey, I have these followers. Please sponsor me. Um, I didn't, I didn't show up as if I immediately was going to get the job essentially because it's a job. It's a business relationship. So I, I said, How can I apply? And they said, Hey, we think you're a great fit. And there's a couple of girls who are already sponsored that really like you and they like your stuff. So let's just get you on the team. And for me, I was like, Okay, great. That's awesome. But I was just thinking, How can I help them rather than how can they help me? And I think a lot of people approach sponsorships like I would love to get free stuff and paid by a company. But you really have to approach it as if I would love to be represented by this brand. It's a long-term relationship. So any kind of sponsorship that you get, it's going to directly reflect on your brand. So if you're partnering with a company just for a couple hundred or thousand extra bucks, that's nice. But really, they're going to be integrated directly with your personal brand. So make sure that there's something you feel strongly about because it's going to it's going to represent you. And if it can add to your personal brand rather than take away, it's much, much better than something that might just dilute your own personal brand. I've done that before and I... I don't necessarily think it's the best idea. It's nice to get a couple hundred extra bucks or whatever it is, but it's not, you know, it's not a long-term decision. You're going into business with these people and they have to see, okay, what's my return on investment for giving this person money or free stuff? And and then you have to also say, am I going to get a return on investment for posting? So it's going to depend highly on your engagement. It's going to depend highly on the size and the engagement of the company. It's going to depend on their budget. It's going to depend on how long they've been in business. It's going to depend on how well you guys align with each other and each other's missions. I also really think it depends on how much I actually like the people that work at the company and how much they like me. So those are all things to think about when you're doing some influencer marketing. Is your approach right now to focus more on your own courses and products, etc. than sponsorships? Yes. So over 2016 or so, my entire... I would say half of my income was just from sponsorships. And it was great. I made a six-figure income just from doing brand deals. Amazing. Amazing, amazing thing. I think it's really cool and it's only going to get better for influencers. Um, Personally... I, I I spent a lot of time doing that and I like it. But I personally, this last year and the year before, I've been really excited about my own stuff. And there's only so much space you have to talk about your promotions. Like I said before, I think that a 75% free value only. Um, I think, you know, I think depending on the sponsor and whatever you're doing, you could be posting more than that. Maybe it's a really cool clothing brand that you're working with and you have to post more than that and people just really like it. So you posting about it isn't super diluting your brand or anything. But personally for me, I can get way, way more of a return on investment and a feeling of fulfillment when I only focus on my own products and then sprinkle in my sponsored posts every once in a while rather than having to rely on or only focus on sponsored posts. I think there's a good balance. Again, I think throwing them in here and there is a really great thing. And that's why I'm really trying to focus on a select few um, companies that I work with and not not focus so heavily on just the companies because at some point I found myself wondering who am I aside from these companies that I'm talking about. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to add in the portfolio, multiple streams of income, but it's certainly better to to grow your own brands. Yeah, absolutely. I love to hear about how people are maximizing other areas of their life outside of work. So I'd like to move into a little bit of a short play hard round. And that is, what are some of your non-work, non-negotiable, like meditation or date night things that you put into your week? to keep your sanity. Oh yeah. So my non-negotiable, and this is a negotiable depending on the week, I would say, but I need Saturdays to myself where I'm not working. Um, One of the things that I realized is that if I don't get some alone time and some de-stress time, that I can't show up as my highest self during the week. So I I noticed that I don't necessarily need to meditate in the morning to feel 100%. Like sometimes I I just got a puppy recently. So we kind of just get up and go and take him for a walk and the mornings have kind of turned into his mornings rather than our mornings, which is, you know, I've kind of come to accept that when I have kids in the future, I'm sure that'll happen again. But in terms of mornings, ideally, they're just a slow morning, but non-negotiable for me is having like a day a week off. And sometimes it doesn't happen because there's events on the weekends and there's this and that. But if I at least know that I either have a vacation coming up, I have a trip coming up, or I have a day to myself where I don't... Essentially, the idea is that I don't have obligations to anyone else aside from myself. So I'm not making appointments. I'm not meeting up with people unless you know that's what I decide that I want to do. But it's really just me making sure that I have a full day to decide this is what I want to do today all day. I get to either shut off and relax. Maybe I'm watching Netflix all day. Or maybe I'm having a full day where I go to SoulCycle I go to the gym. I go to you know a fun hike with my dog, or maybe I'm going to the movies, or maybe I'm going to a dinner, or maybe I'm catching coffee with a friend. But it's all up to me. So having that day is really important because during the week you can get really caught up in the things that you have to do, the things that you have to accomplish, the meetings you have to be on, the podcast interviews you have to do, and it's all great. But if I get a day just to not be obligated to anybody, that's super super ideal for me. There's, there's a concept called screen-free Saturdays. Um, and it sounds like that's sort of what you're doing right now. Yeah. You know, just leaving the time to get, to get yourself away from it. What do you do to uh, blow off steam when you're like, you know, I just need to get out and just blow some steam off? Um, a couple of things I like to do, or no, I mean, I like being outside active. So if I'm going for a bike ride, that feels really great to me. Going to the gym feels really great to me. Sometimes it's just a matter of being in my bedroom watching Netflix. And I know that sounds, I used to be one of those people that would be prideful of the fact that I didn't have a TV or watch Netflix because I was always grinding and always busy. But for me, TV now is really just to blow off steam and to kind of be alone. Like I said before, alone time is huge for me. So if that's my way of being alone and kind of just shutting my brain off to whatever's going on, um, that's really, really ideal for me. Yeah, I mean, we're living in a crush it world. You know, Gary V, uh, bless his little heart, um, is teaching us all to not stop and keep going and not watch Netflix. I don't know how much of a fan I am of all of that. I think yeah. we need to balance. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, Gary, I like he, he lost some weight, but he's looking a little gray to me. You know, <laughs> just relax a little bit. Well, okay, I think so- it depends on everybody. You know, I think it depends on how you like to recharge. And for some people, recharging just means doing what you're good at, and that feels really great too. I think, I think downtime, playtime, and recharging looks different for every personality. 
I agree. You know, one of the reasons why I did this podcast is I spent, you know, a, a big chunk of my life um, working hard. Um, and then I spent another chunk of my life playing hard and probably not working hard enough. And right. so I realized as I got older that striking, you know, that balance where you put momentum into both areas um, is a bit of a you know, I call it, uh, I got it from Tony Robbins, the, uh, the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. You know, there's a, there's a science to achieving things. Like, you know, you just gave us very tactical information for Instagram, but there's a little bit of an art when it comes to, you know, having that downtime to be able to spend time, you know, with Netflix and your dog and your boyfriend and those things. So, you know, that those two things can be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And I think once you kind of learn what you need, the mastering the challenge is making time to do those things and just creating the time for yourself and sticking to it. All right. Let's get into the last part, which is our rapid fire rounds. Um, feel free to answer these questions as quickly or as slowly as you want, but just kind of give me your first thing that hits you. What books have you reread? None. I don't reread books. I know I probably should, but I just don't. <laughs> first time, first time I've ever gotten that answer, and I'm not really? sure what to do. For, just, not sure what I to do. I love it. I love it. That's great. Okay, what is one thing that you own and probably should throw out, but you never will? Okay, so this is probably not your answer that you're looking for either. But I, I'm just not a hoarder. Like in in high school, I sold my prom dresses for money because I don't have any sentimental attachment to most of my things. So I probably would get rid of most of my stuff, to be honest. <laughs> I love this. This is great. <laughs> You're like a purple unicorn right Different. now. <laughs> what is the one app on your phone other than... I'm actually going to modify this question for you. What is the one app on your phone that you can't live without other than Instagram or YouTube? Oh, good question. Um, I think my podcast app. Podca oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the Apple podcast. Yeah. Got it. If I were to talk to your friends and ask them what your superpowers are, what would they answer? Connection to other people, definitely just connecting, empathy. And I'm always the person that is the person that's really easy to talk to. And people tend to tell me their life stories within minutes of meeting me. If you had to give a TED talk on nothing that you're known for or nothing that you speak about, and it could be on anything that you like or anything that you have a passion for or anything else at all, what would it be? This would definitely be human behavior. I think if I were to go back to school, I would get my master's and PhD just in psychology, doing research on human behavior, because I think it is so interesting learning about how humans work and why we behave the way that we do. Well, Amanda, you are a freaking rock star. I really, really enjoyed this. I know that um, you are crazy, crazy busy. And I know that you're doing a lot of interviews and I know that you're doing your own podcast and I know you've got multiple courses and you're in masterminds and you got a boyfriend and a dog. So <laughs> I, appre I appreciate you taking uh, the time to do this. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Um, an ask would just be to come over and listen to my podcast too. I have a podcast and I love it. It's my passion project. It's my baby. That's where I get all of my really amazing thoughts out there. So come listen to the podcast, Bucci Radio. Bucci Radio. Amanda, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much, Rob. You're a great interviewer and you definitely uh, exceeded my expectations. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or 
their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.